This is the beginning of a four-part sermon series that I've entitled Encounters with Jesus. Encounters with Jesus. Uh, and we will study four people that have encountered Jesus personally and see how their lives were changed in an incredible way. And I think the message resonates for us today, that when you come face-to-face with Jesus Christ, and you can do it even today, that when that happens, it changes your life completely. You will never be the same. And I want to really drill down and teach what it means to be born again, born again. Uh, and so this, this to me is an important subject, and I hope that it will touch your life as well. And so immediately after Jesus spent 40 days uh, in the wilderness being tempted, he came out and he began to travel as an itinerant preacher up and down the same coast that David ruled. Uh, and great multitudes began to come out and began to dream about what it could be to have an abundant life. Uh, and so what you see here is that their perspective was on this life. Uh, what you see originally was Jesus was preaching. People would think he's going to be the Messiah that will take the boot of Rome off of us, and we will have great riches and wealth and happiness in this world. And they failed to see the real window of what Jesus was speaking about. He was speaking about eternal life, a spiritual life. Jesus was preaching vertically, and they were looking horizontally. And so that becomes important for us even today as we begin to drill down on this. Now, Jesus used a word picture uh, that, that he felt was appropriate to speak to people about who he was. And it was the great shepherd. Uh, and it was how the shepherd kept their sheep, especially at night. And if you have your, you can look on the board, John chapter 10, verse 1, beginning there, it says, very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, and then anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Now, Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said, beginning in verse 7, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Amen? What a great passage that is. Uh, as Jesus says, I am the gate. It's one of the seven I am's in, in the New Testament. I am the gate, meaning I am God. I am God. There is only one way to the Father through me. I am the gate. I am the shepherd. I love my, my disciples. I love them, all those who have been with me. They know my voice. They know who I am, and they come to me. What a great passage this is. 
uh, as you see Jesus beginning to distinguish being born again under him as opposed to religiosity. And that's what this message principally is about, the danger of religiosity. Uh, and so uh, Jesus is warning us. It's not about church membership. It's not about your status belonging to the church. I don't even care if you're behind the pulpit. If you have not accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior and have become born again, all of your religious trappings mean nothing. Nothing. And so as far as Jesus was concerned, uh, money and possessions were really morally neutral, but it was the love and obsession with those things uh, that would never bring you to a new kingdom uh, and would distract you from the call of God and distract you from what Jesus was speaking about. Now, it is in this background, you see, that Jesus is going to come face to face with one of the great religious people in all of Israel, Nicodemus. Nicodemus. And if you've had the chance to watch The Chosen, uh, as I have, you see how they portray Nicodemus in that. Now, uh, much of that is not indicated in the Bible, but I think that they can do uh, license to do that. I believe that uh, because we will see how Jesus touched Nicodemus. And so here he is, one of the great theological teachers in all of Israel, the top rabbi, a member of the Sanhedrin, and he's struggling to understand what Jesus is speaking about. Uh, and so Nicodemus was a caring guy. He cared about his people. He cared about the crisis of Rome, uh, and he cared about truth, and he was concerned about morality. Uh, he was a religious man. If you wanted to look up religious man in the dictionary, you would find Nicodemus' picture. Nobody was more religious than Nicodemus. That's what makes this so amazing. Nobody was more religious. And this speaks to me today. God doesn't care about your religiosity. You know, there are so many people that are just enraptured with a specific church or a specific culture or a specific denomination. Oh, yeah, my grandfather, my father. And we travel on other people's passports. And yet we ourselves have never made that personal determination. Lord, I give you my heart. I serve you. It's not about the church. It's not about church membership. It's about you. And so you see that. That's the significance of this sermon and the significance of Nicodemus. Now think about this. Here's this itinerant preacher out of Nazareth. And now the chief rabbi of Israel comes to visit him. At night. At night. Why at night? Because really he couldn't risk his reputation to be in the daytime. All right? He had to come at night to speak to Jesus. And so he respected Jesus, uh, but he comes to Jesus. Now you would think, would you not, that Jesus would say, whoa, whoa, what a great opportunity to advance myself. Wouldn't we say that? Oh, look at this. The chief rabbi's coming to me. He's speaking to me. Oh, I could parlay this into some greater good for the kingdom. Yeah, not Jesus. Not Jesus. He cuts to the quick. Look at John 3, verse 7. Uh, he knocks Nicodemus right on his heels. You must be born again. What? What? 
What does that mean? You must be born again. Uh, and you see this expression, being born again, has lost, I believe, much of what it really intended to be. We've ruined it in our culture. So many people throw it around recklessly. Um, and I believe what it means is a theologian really articulated it well. He said that to be born again means a transformation of a person so that he is able to enter into another world and in its condition. I think that's exactly right. A transformation that you can be part of another world. Not your flesh, not the things that you delve with in your flesh, but a spiritual relationship on a higher level. Uh, and so to be born into the heavenly kingdom of God, you must be born again. Nicodemus was stunned by this expression of Jesus. You see this in John 3, verse 4, where Nicodemus says, how can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus says, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Do you see how this great theologian and leader was stuck on the horizontal. He was stuck on, on, in a religion that had ties to the past. He was stuck in a Jewish culture, and he had not really understood truly what God expected him to be. And this, I mean, really, if this could happen to Nicodemus, all right, how much more us? How much more us when you realize this is the chief rabbi of Israel? And so at first glance, his comment there seems to be somewhat obtuse, uh, maybe a little even critical, uh, and, and maybe Nicodemus was saying, you know, you're kind of an upstart here. Really? You're talking to me, as we say in New Jersey, you're talking to me? You're talking to me? Uh, and that was his way of suggesting this, this is preposterous. This is preposterous. Uh, and so although he was intelligent and although he was religious, and you see again, religiosity doesn't carry the day, uh, Nicodemus believed that the world could only be discovered by the physical evidence of it. Again, the horizontal. And Jesus just blasts that, blasts that apart. Uh, and so Jesus takes him deeper, takes him deeper. And part of this lesson is for you. This sermon is for you as you go out into the world and tell people about what it means to be born again. You need to understand this. You need to explain it. Uh, and sometimes you need to go deeper. And so you look at John chapter 3, verse 5. And Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. Water and spirit. Water being cleansing. Cleansing. Washing away your sin. You know, an act of baptism. And the Spirit. The Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit descending. Uh, and, and referencing, really, holiness uh, and, and spiritual rebirth. By differentiating, you see, between these terms, water and the spirit, Nicodemus would begin to understand that spiritual birth could only come from above. Uh, and there would, be, would have been a, a familiar text for Nicodemus found in Ezekiel 36, verse 24. Now, this would be hundreds of years before Christ would be born. But look how poignant this message from God is. I will take you out of the nations. 
I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. And of course, the Jewish people had been dispersed at this time by conquering nations. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. Hundreds of years before Christ was born. And there you see it. The promise of washing and cleansing and rebirth and God giving you a new heart uh, and a new spirit. And so Nicodemus would understand that there was a pretext to what Jesus had said. It had been found in Judaism before. He hadn't really paid attention to it that way. They were bound up in legalism, over 600 laws. They were the chosen people. They were worshiping religion. You understand? And God doesn't want you to worship religion. He wants you to worship Christ. And so Nicodemus was looking for the Messiah to rescue Israel from, the, from Rome, to take the boot of Rome off them, to bring back abundance and possessions and wealth. Um, and Jesus was saying that has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. It is the inner cleansing and renewal of a person that the Spirit of God uh, brings about when a person is born again. Uh, and by now, Nicodemus is slack-jawed. He can't believe what he has heard, all right? His whole life now is dissolved uh, at his feet, as everything that he did before as a good Jew now is sta stands in pale comparison to the God of the universe. Look at what Jesus said in John 3, verse 7. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. That's the Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. That's what you get when you're born from God, born again. You don't see it. You can't touch it, but it's implanted in your heart. Uh, and Jesus is bringing that message. In other words, Nicodemus, this is something that you can't analyze or philosophize or work your way mentally through it. Forget it. That's not going to happen. It involves the supernatural work of God inside a person, one-on-one. -on -one. The work of the Spirit is like the wind. Uh, and this becomes so important to us as we bring this message to a lost world. Uh, the, the Spirit of God is invisible. He is silent. He is powerful. He moves wherever he desires. And when he takes residence in your heart, you change forever. You change forever. And so perhaps with his head to his hand, uh, overwhelmed by these things, uh, Nicodemus looks into Jesus and searching for an answer. He says, how can these things be? He was the teacher in Israel, the top rabbi, uh, and he had no awareness of this 
spiritual dimension of God and the kingdom of God uh, and, and, what, and what God wanted his citizens to enjoy. Look, God didn't care about Rome. God didn't care about what Rome was doing. God cared about their eternal life. And that's the message for us. You know, so many of us get tied up in political issues. And I'm, I don't want to put that down. I understand we have to vote and we have to take care of the, this world. But God has a greater call on your life. You understand? You're going to survive no matter who is elected. Yes, we'd like to have certain people elected that represent us more beneficially. But at the same time, God calls you to a higher purpose. And think about this. This is Rome that God is speaking to, to Nicodemus about, where people would be crucified if they disagreed, and yet Jesus is saying, you must be born again. Forget about revolution. Forget about the opposition. Just look to the cross. And so this should stand as a, a warning, really, to all of us uh, who are actively involved in church. Because here's my concern. You could be actively involved in church and really not be born again. You could be a leader. You could be serving church. You can even be the preacher. All right? But the question is, are you born again? Or are you just serving in religiosity? Are you mouthing the, the terminology that others have done before? Are you going to church because your grandmother went to church? Are you going to church because your father went to church? Or are you going to church because you feel the call on your heart? You have to go. You must go because God is speaking to your hearts. This is what it is. You must have your own passport. Because when you get to heaven, all right, and they're waiting for you there, don't say, why are you here? And you say, well, you know, my grandma went to church all the time. I loved her. My mother and father were there. Oh, yeah, my uncle was one of the founders of the church. But how about you? How about you? Well, uh, I love them. I love them. I went to church. I, I, I went there all the holidays. But what about you? Have you given your heart to Jesus Christ? Have you committed yourself to him? Have you done that? And that's the message for you today. And that's the message you have to give to your family and to your friends. Uh, and so here's the thing. You may have the respect of the entire religious community. You may have the respect of the church. Uh, yet no theological understanding is sufficient to be called being born again, born from above. Look at what Jesus said to Nicodemus. He said it in three-pointed things. I mean, Jesus didn't just try to be politically correct. He says in verse 10 there, you do not understand Verse 11, you do not accept. Verse 12, how will you believe? How will you believe? Can you imagine? Nicodemus, his head must have been exploding, really. And so you see it then again in John chapter 3, verse 10, where Jesus says again to Nicodemus, are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. Notice this. Testimony means first-hand knowledge. I'm speaking about things I have seen, and you can't believe it. If I told you 
earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Now, when Jesus used the terminology Son of Man, that had a rock Nicodemus, not rock Nicodemus, because he would reflect back on Daniel, on those chapters in Daniel, chapters 8, chapters 9, where, where Gabriel would come to him and speak about the Son of Man, who was Jesus Christ, the Son of Man who would be the Messiah. And so here he is speaking about the Son of Man who descended from heaven, meaning you are looking at the Son of Man, Nicodemus. I came from heaven. No one else ever came from heaven to deliver this message in the world. None. And so the problem with Nicodemus was not intellectual, but it was volitional. He refused to believe. He would not see, and Jesus made this clear, because Nicodemus thought he was perfectly well-suited where he was. I am the chief rabbi. How dare anybody tells, tells me that I have a deficit in my spiritual life? And so as the conversation turned, it began to focus really on the work of the Holy Spirit as Jesus drilled deeper. And their dialogue became even more interesting because Nicodemus was a seasoned student of Moses. Jesus went back to, to the time of Moses and talked about an important incident in the life of Moses. And what this was was at a time where the people of Israel were being taken out of Egypt and crossed through the Red Sea, and God had taken care of them and given them water and manner, and yet there they were, and they were murmuring, and they were complaining, and they were still filled with idolatry, all right? And so God repudiated that conduct, and what did he do? He sent venomous snakes into their people so that people were dying by the thousands. Uh, and so Moses cries out to God, Lord, Lord, help us. There'll be nobody left. They're all going to die. Intervene with us. And God says to Moses, fashion a bronze snake. Fashion a bronze snake and put it on a pole. And tell everyone who looks at that snake on the pole that they will be delivered from the venomous poison. It will leave their body. The poison will lose its effectiveness. And so Jesus used that analogy to show Moses that this was a foretaste of Christ himself. And then he cited it. John 3, verse 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. What was Jesus saying? Jesus was saying, I'm going to die on a cross. I am going to be put on a pole. And just like the bronze serpent during the time of Moses, anyone who will look at me and embrace me will be cured from the venom of sin. Can you imagine? That's what he said. Making it true. Making it impactful. So that uh, Nicodemus would recognize, recognize that God had spoken about this a thousand years before, 1,500 years before, that Christ would be the Savior 
for all people. Whoever believed in him, whoever accepted him, would be able to walk into the kingdom of God. He is the gatekeeper. He is the one. He is the shepherd. And so continuing on, Jesus completed this thought in verse 15. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Now let me park on the word everyone. Everyone. We respect people uh, from other denominations and other churches uh, who have a Reformed theological background. Many of you don't understand what Reformed theology is, but Reformed theology says that only those people who have been predestined to be saved can be saved. I repudiate that today. I read the Bible. I'm a simple man. My Bible says everyone who believes. What part of everyone who believes does it say predestined? In parentheses, predestined. Everyone who believes will be saved. You have an obligation to spread the word of God. God wants you to go out to everyone. I don't care what you've done before. I don't care where you are. I don't care what sin you've completed in your life. God will save you if you accept Jesus Christ. Everyone, everyone. There are no restrictions in these verses. There are none. Anyone who looks up and accepts Christ will be saved. There are no exceptions. Amen, church? And so having stripped Nicodemus of false ideas, of bad theology, of pride, and having given the old teacher a new dimension in his thinking, Jesus gave him a clear, direct statement of Christ's mission to the world, and that is found in that famous verse, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Again, notice the word whoever. Whoever. Without limitation. Whoever. And so that's the first time that famous verse is given, and it's given now to the chief rabbi of Israel. What an extraordinary circumstance. And so abundant life, you see, is not only eternal life, but it is an overwhelmingly ample life in this world. And that's what we understand that God does for you. Because when you're saved in this world, when you're saved and given Jesus your life, you're taken care of not just for eternity, you're taken care of here in this world. He will give you what you need, not what you want. The abundant life starts the day that you give your heart to God. As you say to him, Lord, I'm yours. I will follow you for the rest of my life. Uh, and that becomes important. And so there were several things that Jesus was saying here that need to be emphasized. Lord, I'm yours. I'm yours. And for the first part of that is God wants you to ignore the perils of this life. Don't worry about this life. God intended us to, op to operate on a spiritual perspective. Don't be obsessing about this physical world. Uh, and, and because that's the abundant life that God gives you. And then, then, furthermore, God gives you a soaring life, a soaring life where you see the cross, 
where you know where you're headed. Uh, and, and when you start the day, you know that he holds you, protects you. You are with him, and he will be with you. That's what he gives you when you are born again. And then now you're no longer fearing risking this life. You're not concerned about risking this life because Jesus says you, you can now embrace the impossible because now all things are possible with Christ. That's how we live, all right? Physical abundance is immaterial. And let me repeat that. Physical abundance is immaterial. Some of the people that I know, and I reflect on my own mother and father, who never had anything, all right, who lived really in, in a four-room house, who slept in a dining room their whole life, in a house in which we only had one bedroom, and I slept in the kitchen until I was 18. They were the happiest, most fulfilled people that I ever met because they were serving God, and God gave them everything that they needed. Yes, both of their kids went to college. Both of their kids went to graduate school. They didn't have to worry about how that was coming on. They trusted in God, and God answered that prayer. You understand? Money, obsessions, status, even relationships fail when we come to the cross. None of it. God's blessing us in every possible way. He'll give you what you need. If you find that you're unhappy now, then I would say get on your knees and ask the Lord to save you. Ask Jesus Christ to enter your heart. Because once he enters your heart, you will never be the same. Now, the one requirement, you understand, is that we must be willing to exchange our old life for the new life, our former way of living for the new way of living, which is now directed by the Lord. Now, when we take this life and move forward with God, it's he who directs us. We walk where he wants us to walk. Somebody said to me uh, over the, at the men's ministry on, on Friday, how is it that you at that age, when, when you decided to start this church, how was it that you decided that you would give up traveling the world and going and doing all the things that you could have done that you worked so hard for? I said to him, I had no choice. You understand? I had no choice. All right? Because once I had given my heart to him, it's like God grabbed me and said, this is what you're going to do. And I recognized it was the greatest privilege I could have to serve his people, to lead his people. It's the same for you. That's what it means. These are not choices. These are commitments that we bow before the throne. And we recognize that this is a new life and we have to serve him in every way. Uh, and I asked God to let this resonate with you in every possible way. And so here's the question you need to say. You look at yourself today, and this is between you and the Lord. Are you religious in name only? Do you come to church because it's an obligation? Do you come because you think you're getting points ahead in heaven? All right? Are you working your way to a better house in heaven? You'd like to have an oceanfront. All right? Are these the kind of things that you're coming to church for? Because if it is, then you're on the wrong path. We come because we love him. We come because we serve. We come because we worship him. We come because he's in our heart. And nothing else matters to us. You understand? 
we can't help being changed because the Holy Spirit has resided in our hearts. You know, Jesus made that very great statement. Let your light so shine before men so that, you, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's what it's about, church. That's why I started to speak about volunteerism. Your good works, that's how the world sees who you are. You're sold out for Jesus. It's not meaning I'm sold out on Sunday morning for an hour. It means I'm sold out every day of the week, every day of the year. I'm sold out for him. I will walk where he wants me to go. I will stay and do what he wants me to be. I will be his person in every aspect. And so here you go, the chief rabbi of Israel. Uh, and so we know, we know, parenthetically, that, that uh, Nicodemus was affected by this message uh, because there was a time when Jesus was brought up on charges um, uh, to the Sanhedrin, and Nicodemus defended, defended Jesus there. Uh, he said there, Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier, and it was one of their own number, asked, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? And they mocked him. They said, are you from Galilee too? You will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. Really? No, maybe a prophet doesn't, but the Son of God does. The Son of God does. And so here you want to know, was Nicodemus saved? Well, here's the example of why I believe he was saved. When Jesus perished on the cross, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus went to Pilate and asked if they could be given control of the body of Christ. And so they were given that authority. And so those two men, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, came, took the body of Christ down, wrapped it uh, in spices uh, and embalmed it uh, as they took the body down and put Jesus' body in the tomb that Joseph of Arimathea had. So that the prophecy of the Bible in Psalms that said the Messiah would be buried in the tomb of a wealthy man comes together because Joseph of Arimathea owned that tomb and was considered probably the wealthiest man in all of Israel. And so here you have the chief rabbi coming and publicly taking the body of Jesus. Lord, I'm saved. Lord, I believe you. What a tremendous testimony that is to me today. And so it should be to you as well as you come here today and hear this message. You need to be saved. You need to give your heart to Jesus Christ. And if any of you, any of you have any question about this, there will be people up here at the end of the service who will pray with you. And I will pray with you all also. Do not let another day go by. There is nothing that you will ever do in this world that is more important than this. Nothing. This is the key. God wants to change you and transform you forever. Amen, church? Let's, let's bow our heads. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this message. I thank you for this picture of Nicodemus. I thank you for the warning, Father, of the danger of religiosity because we know that so many good people are, are really signed up to religion.
They go to church all over the world, but not really giving their hearts to you, Father. And so we're called today to give the message of Christ. We're called today to let these people know you must be born again. They need to hear it, Lord. And when we give it, we give it in love the way Jesus gave it. But we don't parse the truth. Lord, give us the strength to do this. Give us the ability to do it. Give us the courage to do it. And Father, I pray that our church will resonate with this message and leave here with the commitment to be born again and to spread the message in every way. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen, Lord.